Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. So we happen to be moving to the book of Titus this morning. So go ahead and locate the book of Titus. So you're going to pass up First and Second Timothy in what's an area of your Bible called the pastoral epistles. When you hear epistle, I have no idea why they named it an epistle. <laughs> what is that? An epistle is a letter. So some of the books of the Bible are called books and some are called letters. And this happens to be a letter from the Apostle Paul. And uh, he wrote a good number of the letters in your New Testament. And this particular letter he writes to a man named Titus. So that's where we're going. Titus is only three chapters. So it's not going to take us too long to move through the book of Titus, but let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful to be together again on this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for the rain that has really uh, washed over Southern California for the last several weeks now. We're just grateful for it. And Father, we're also grateful for the wind because the wind blows out a lot of the junk and there's been many beautiful mornings where we've actually been able to see the mountains and we're so grateful. Snow-capped mountains and things that we take for granted like water supplies and things like that that have really been down in Southern California, but thank you that the rain has come. And thank you that your word is like the snow and the rain, that it falls to the ground and it brings forth growth into our lives. And we're so grateful for it. We need it so desperately, Lord. We need to grow. Peter says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like newborn babies, we're supposed to long for the pure milk of the word that we might grow thereby. And this is a community of saints, Lord, that is growing. They're growing personally, and you've brought some numeric growth to this fellowship, and we're just grateful. We're grateful for each precious soul, each person that's experiencing the growth, the best growth, from one degree of glory to another. As we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, you're in the faith-growing business, Lord, and thank you that you do that in our personal lives through good times and sometimes through the stretching seasons of difficulty. Wherever we may be this morning, Lord, we are just grateful to be together, and we're grateful to be able to have some time in the Word of God. So may you speak, and may we hear what you say to us and grow as a result and become more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so as we move to this new series called Grace and Godliness in the book of Titus, I wanted you, you to just take a look at the graphic there. Grace and Godliness. So... When you look at the Bible and you look at how life works, spiritual life works, grace always precedes godliness. You don't get saved by godliness. You get saved by grace, and that grace leads to godliness. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about that order this morning. I'm going to talk to you about three branches that the book of Titus addresses. So my wife often asks me, she does all the graphics for the church, or a good number of them, and she'll say, what's your graphic? Like, what, give, me, give me an idea of an image of where you're going. And so I always have to get it to her like Thursday afternoon, <laughs> like, ah, okay. So the book of Titus actually is a book about growth, so a tree is beautifully appropriate 
But notice in the graphic, there's three branches that you can see there. And there's three areas where godliness is addressed in the book of Titus. And they are in the church, the family, and the world. So that's where we're going. And these three chapters are going to kind of break up that way. The church, the family, and the world. That's where our godliness needs to impact the culture. But we're not going to have a godly life until we first have encountered the grace of God. And the grace of God is all through the book of Titus. Just look ahead for a second at verse 11 where Jerry just led us. The grace of God, Titus 2.11, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. But the grace, notice in Titus 2.12, instructs us, grace teaches us to do what? To deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So that, there's a, an example of a verse that has grace and godliness together. We're saved by grace, but grace produces. Here's the idea. If, if you think of a tree, grace is the trunk of the tree. Godliness is what branches out of the tree. And a tree is often used in Psalm chapter one, for example, of a man or a woman who meditates on the word of God, how often? Day and night, and that person will be like a tree. But that tree is a blossoming tree. That tree is a fruitful tree. In fact, Jesus said, you will know people by their fruits. That's how you'll know if someone has encountered the grace of God. Now we wanna make sure we have the order correct. We're saved by grace not by godliness, but godliness will flow out of a life of touch by grace. So it's impossible really for a Christian not to have fruits coming out of your life. Now you can have seasons where, you know, fruit production is down. <laughs> How does that happen? Well, usually it's because you're not receiving the nutrients that produce growth. Let's just face it. There's a one-to-one -one correspondence between what you invest, or to put it another way, how deep your roots grow and how much fruit comes out of your life. In fact, I'm not a tree expert, but I've read enough on these kinds of ideas to know that uh, those who are experts in the field say that what you see come out of the ground in regard to a tree is roughly equivalent to the depth of its roots. So whatever's going to come out of your life is really about how deep you are. Now, the modern church has been accused of being a mile wide and about an inch deep. You know, we're, we're oftentimes accused of being big into numbers. We want a lot of people to show up at churches because somehow we gauge the, you know, the effectiveness or the, uh, the success of a church by numbers. But look, numbers have really not much to do with a church unless each of those people are producing fruit. Then the numbers are extremely important, right? But they don't mean a whole lot if there's just a bunch of spectators sitting in a church on Sunday morning and then they go out and they don't produce any fruit. But I know different of this congregation because I know you guys are going out there and I know you're trying to make a difference in the world and that's really what these letters are about. These, are, these particular letters, I remember them as the five T's, okay? And they are 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. They're all packed together 
in your Bible. First and Second Thessalonians have been called church epistles, really letters that have been written specifically to the church, although really they all could fall in that category. First and Second Timothy and Titus have been called pastoral epistles. So for the sake of genre, if you will, they are called pastoral epistles because they deal with ideas of leadership, leadership. And every one of you in this room has some sphere of leadership. So you'll want to tune in, but I would say this, that this particular letter to Titus and First and Second Timothy are required reading for pastors. And for that matter, anybody who wants to be in church leadership needs to know these letters. In fact, sometimes I, I look at the landscape and I'll watch pastors interviewed and I sometimes wonder if they've read these letters because the way that the church is set up or what's happening seems to be the opposite oftentimes of what I see in the pastoral epistles. So grace and godliness. Here's a, here's a great verse to see the balance of this. It's in Ephesians, which is just a few pages back. Go to Ephesians chapter two. I just wanna show you kind of this foundation is we're, we're gonna build on this idea of grace and godliness. Ephesians 2, it's well-known verses to most of you, but here's what Paul says. This is verse eight. Ephesians 2, verse eight says, for by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 8, through faith. Grace is what saves you. How you receive grace is through the channel of faith. Grace is a beautiful word in the Bible. It's a word called charis. If you're interested, it's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. You pronounce it charis. And it's a word that speaks of the benevolence of God, the goodness of God. Some, some have said that the acronym for grace is best explained by this acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. That's what grace is. Grace is free. It's a gift. You can't earn it. That's why you have to have this order uh, totally in mind because godliness doesn't save you. But a lot of Americans, and for that matter, a lot of people in the world and in other religions believe that their goodness is going to save them. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's no one good. No, not one. So you have to have an encounter with grace. Jesus is the face of grace. If you want to just simplify things, just Whenever you think of grace, just think of Jesus, because Jesus is God's grace. He is God's grace on display in your life, demonstrating God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. He took our place. That's the idea of grace. Christ took our place. If you like rhymes, there you go. Grace is Christ taking our place, dying in, on our behalf taking the wrath of God so that his righteousness is now given to my account simply by my faith in Christ. So notice the emphasis, Ephesians 2.8, and that not of yourselves, it is what? It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works. One of my heroes in days gone by is Walter Martin. And Walter Martin said that this idea of not by works has to be driven into the hearts and souls of men. And he pounded the pulpit with these words, not by works, not by works, not by works, so that we would listen. Because I'm not sure we're convinced that God loves us just on the basis of grace alone. 
it's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the Donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. But Paul says, not as a result of works. No. Not one person is going to be saved by their good deeds. Not one person is going to end up in heaven and say, oh, you won't believe what I did to get here. Right? I logged a certain amount of time doing X, Y, and Z. Nope. You're not getting into heaven like that. Although I will say this, that it is very tempting for us to think that that's why God loves us because we live in a very performance-oriented society. <laughs> we get rewarded for performance, right? At work, in athletics, you know, you name the area. But now when it comes to our salvation, we have to wholly depend upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's totally freeing once you get your arms around it but it's hard as, as, as human beings for us to really, I think, accept it. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. Here's the reason. God knows us as humans so that what? No one should boast. No boasting. If we're going to boast in anything, it's going to be in the cross of Christ. However, it doesn't stop there. Notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship it could be translated, we are his work of art. The Greek word is poema. It speaks of something like a poem that has structure. We are his workmanship. We are his work of art. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? We should walk in them. Our response to grace is faith. Our response to good works is to walk them out. Let me say that one more time. Our response to God's grace is faith. Faith is the receptor that receives grace. Our response to God's good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them is to walk in them. So there is a responsibility. In regard to grace, we receive it. In regard to good works, we walk them out. That's the response. So although God is always the initiator, you could say God's the initiator in the grace and in the good works. We, we can see both of those ideas here in Ephesians 2. He initiates the grace through Christ and the good works he's already prepared beforehand. However, our responsibility is to respond to grace by receiving it, and our responsibility is also to walk out the good works. David Jeremiah gave, gave an illustration. I think it's a good one. I'll make it more appropriate for our audience. He said, imagine that uh, I told you that at the end of this service, I have free tickets for all of you to, what's better, the Clippers or the Lakers? The well, Lakers are up and coming, but the Clippers are better right now, right? All right, to the Clippers game. You guys don't seem excited. And I said to you, I have enough for all of you, free parking, free hot dog, everything. All you have to do, praise the Lord, all you have to do is come and get the, your ticket at the end of the service. So if you didn't come up, if you just went in your car and you left, you have no ticket to the Clipper game. 
Pastor Michael bought the ticket for you. How sad that you wouldn't receive it, but if you don't take it, it's not yours. That's how grace works. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is for the whole world. However, if you don't get your ticket, then you're not going to heaven. You must receive the gift. It's been paid for, but you still have to take it. And if you don't come get it, it's not yours. This is how grace works. And godliness, which connects to this idea in Titus, is living out the grace that you have encountered in Christ. It's, back to Titus, if you would, it's living your life as a thank you note. It's saying, God, I'm so grateful for what you did for me. Now, while many of us know a lot about Timothy, we don't know a lot about Titus, so let me give you a quick overview on this gentleman named Titus. Who is he? His name actually means pleasant, and when you think of Titus, some of you have heard the story of a man named Titus Vespasian. Titus Vespasian was the Roman commander who led the troops into Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Titus is a Gentile name because that's what he was. He was not a Jewish man. Now, we don't know a whole lot about how Titus got saved, but we do know this, that somewhere along the line, he became a Christian. Most scholars, if you read you know, uh, background on the book of Titus, say that somewhere along Paul's missionary journeys, he witnessed to Titus, and Titus became a Christian. And then he became a man that would travel with the Apostle Paul and became a very entrusted man a partner and fellow worker in the work of the gospel, says 2 Corinthians 8.23. In fact, I think Titus is mentioned at least nine times in 2 Corinthians, and he's a very prominent man in terms of leadership in the church. In Galatians 2, a few pages back, a little bit before you, where you were in Ephesians, go back there for a second, there's a scene that happens in Galatians 2 which uh, illustrates the background of Titus. Go, go to Galatians 2, look at verse 1. Galatians 2, verse 1. Paul's telling his story about how the Lord worked in his life, how he received the gospel, and how he verified the gospel uh, back with some of the pillars of the church. Galatians 2, verse 1, he says, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, Galatians 2, 1, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage but we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Titus is a prominent person in this exchange where they go to Jerusalem and Paul's verifying the gospel and interacting with some of the pillars there in Jerusalem and Titus is with him who's a Gentile and there was an early movement and that's a lot of what Galatians is about and often categorizes these Judaizers and these Judaizers were saying you cannot be a Christian unless you're circumcised and you keep the laws of Moses. So Titus was there, and when Paul showed up, apparently some of these guys saw Titus, said he's a Gentile, and if he's going to be part of the saved community, he has to be circumcised. You can imagine Titus going, fight for me, please. <laughs> anyway, Paul said, no, he doesn't. 
Because circumcision is not what saves you. Christ saves you. So, the, so Titus became this illustration of a Gentile who didn't need to go through a conversion into Judaism to be saved. He had received the gospel, he had become a convert, and circumcision was not the issue. Circumcision of the heart is really the issue. So that's, that's one story about Titus. One more uh, to just check out. Go to 2 Corinthians, just a few pages back now, 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7. Let me just read a little bit from my notes. Titus next appears in connection with Paul's mission to Corinth. While Paul was in Ephesus, and you want 2 Corinthians 7, during his third missionary journey, he received disturbing news from the church at Corinth. After writing two letters and paying one visit to Corinth, Paul sent Titus to Corinth with the third letter. When Titus failed to return with news of the situation, Paul left Ephesus and with a troubled spirit traveled north to Troas. He is, uh, I mentioned he's mentioned nine times in 2 Corinthians, Titus is. Finally in Macedonia, Titus met the anxious apostle with good news, that the church at Corinth had repented. In relief and joy, Paul wrote yet another letter to Corinth, perhaps from Philippi, sending it again through Titus, which is recorded in 2 Corinthians 7, 15, and 16. In addition, Titus was given responsibility for completing the collection for the poor uh, saints in Jerusalem. So if you just take a peek, look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And Titus brought this good news. Hey, Paul, the Corinthian church has read your letter. They've responded in repentance. I have good news. And Paul felt a great amount of relief. And Titus became the vehicle by which Paul got this relief. Sometimes what happens, and I want you to notice, verse six, some of you need to hear this. God comforts who? The depressed. Look, sometimes in life, if you go back to Titus, we're gonna be depressed. It's not a sin to be depressed, by the way. Apparently, Paul was. His circumstances were overwhelming. He was wondering you know, how the Corinthian church had responded to his letter. It was tough for him to write the letter. He said, look, I, I didn't enjoy writing the letter, but I wanted the fruit of the letter, that is your repentance, to be what really mattered. And when he heard that they had repented, he was grateful. And some of the pressure lifted from his life. And that came with the good news of the message that Titus brought. Sometimes people just, God can use people to lift our burdens. Uh, Paul, right here in the third row, did a message with the, uh, the men's breakfast, and he was talking about encouragement. And we're talking about different uh, definitions of encouragement. And encouragement is to put courage into people. Discouragement is to take courage out of people. Titus seemed to be a man of encouragement. And uh, he was willing to take some tough tasks. He was willing to take a stand for the truth. And uh, Paul is going to tell him that he needs to appoint elders on the, in the areas of uh, Crete, which we'll get to in a second message here. But he was a man for tough tasks. A uh, final reference to Titus appears in 2 Timothy 4.10, where Paul remarks that Titus has departed from mission work in Dalmatia, which... Scholars say it's modern Yugoslavia, but Yugoslavia now is broken up as well, so whatever you call it now. And Eusebius wrote that Titus, 
Uh, he wrote around A.D. 325, returned to Crete to become the first bishop of that area and died at a ripe old age. So that's a little background on the book of Titus. Now, let's, we're just going to go the first four verses, and let's uh, break in now to the letter to Titus. Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God, Titus 1.1. 1, 1. Now, even though the letter is called Titus, the author is Paul. Paul is writing to Titus, and ancient letters, they would sign the letter in the beginning instead of the end. So you might write a letter to a friend or an email to a friend, and you would sign that sincerely, or God bless you and yours, or peace, or however you end your letters, favorite Bible verse, and you'd say, Michael Lance. Well, in the ancient world, they would start by addressing who they were at the beginning. So Paul describes himself as the author of the letter, so there shouldn't be any debate about the author, right? Sometimes you read uh, critical scholars and stuff like that, and they say, we're not sure Paul's the author. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, because some of the language shifts and changes, and uh, it doesn't sound like Paul. One of the themes that comes out in this uh, great epistle to Titus is the theme of godliness. And we've defined godliness in this first section, and godliness is a God-dominated life. It's a God-centered life. But I'm sure if you're driving the freeway right now, or if you're just thinking about how you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, where your thoughts are, what consumes your time, you might be saying, Pastor Michael, man, my life does not seem like a godly life. I seem like I'm so buried by worldly things and, and pursuits that are other than the things of God. How do I get to a godly life? You know, how do I how do I feed godliness and and escape from worldliness or as we put it in this message, selfiness? We live in a selfie generation, right? People are taking selfies everywhere. And it's hard not to kind of join with that parade and you know make it about self. But here's the key. When we make our lives about God and his kingdom, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he adds back the things that we are so worried about, like what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, where we're going to work, all those things that we let consume us. When we focus on God and his kingdom first, godliness and the rest of those things take care of themselves. But we often invert that. We flip it around and I think it's because there's a lot of pressure and a lot just coming at us that keeps us away from godliness. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org. Or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.